0: Well, it's the first week of May. Who's excited about that? Two of you. Awesome. I'm with you. And uh, it's actually a significant thing for our church as well because it means that we are a third of the way through reading the Bible. If you're newer to Genesis Church, we're spending the entire year reading through God's year or God's Word, and uh, we're a third of the way done now. We would love for you to join us, though. We're using an app called Read Scripture. It's a free download on the App Store, and we're on day 122. And we would love for you to jump in, spend the rest of the year reading God's Word with us. Uh, but with us being a third of the way through the Bible, this is probably a good time to remember why we're doing this. Okay, those of you who are using the app, it's not to click that check mark at the bottom. As satisfying as that is, I love hitting that check mark, but that's not why we're doing it. It's not for bragging rights. It's not to be able to say, I've read the entire Bible, right? It's not for that. If you're a Christian, I do think you should be able to say that, but that's not the primary reason why we're doing this. The primary reason Why we are spending this year reading from Genesis to Revelation is because as Christ followers, we need to be planted in God's word. His word is food for our souls. It's guidance for our days. It's encouragement for our hearts. Uh, But I suspect that there have been some mornings where it feels more like a box to check more like something that you have to do than something you want to do. And I'll, I'll be honest to say that that's true of me sometimes as well. And so maybe now is a good time for a reminder of what it is exactly that, that this book is, that we're spending all of this time reading and the significance that it should have in our lives. Uh, we started reading this past week Psalm 119. And this is uh, a psalm that's long enough that it's broken up over several days in the reading plan. But uh, significantly, Psalm 119 is all about loving God's Word. And so we're going to use that psalm today uh, to learn what, what this is, why we should treasure it, why we should value it. We're going to be looking at Psalm 119. Let me tell you just a little bit about the psalm. If you want to turn there, you can go ahead and do so. Um, we're not going to read the entire thing, but Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the entire Bible. As a matter of fact, Psalm 119 is longer than over half of the other books of the Bible. And Psalm 119 is a love poem about the Bible itself. Now the author of this Psalm is not clearly identified, but most scholars believe that it was either David or Daniel or Ezra. Uh, One thing is for sure though, whoever the author is, they had endured some serious suffering in their life. And you find that throughout the Psalm as they reference back to this period of trial and of suffering. But they came through that with a deeper understanding of God's love and his compassion and a really deep appreciation for God's word. Now the format of Psalm 119 is an alphabetic acrostic. And we miss that in the English language because the Old Testament was written in Hebrew Uh, but the first letter of each line follows the Hebrew alphabet I took a quick picture of my Bible and uh, maybe yours looks similar in that you have these um, markings here and then you have a word that you probably don't recognize here's another one here and another one here well that marking is a letter in the Hebrew alphabet and then the word is the transliteration, or how we would say the pronunciation of that letter. There are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, and so there are 22 sections in this psalm. Every section has eight lines, thus there are 176 lines or 176 verses to Psalm 119. And the acrostic structure of this psalm is used intentionally. And it's used intentionally to show us that God is a God of order, not a God of chaos. And it's significant that the longest chapter in the Bible is about the Bible itself. Again, this is a a love poem written about the author's deep love for God's word. Now, Charles Spurgeon was of the conviction that every preacher of the gospel should put Psalm Psalm 119 to memory, all 176 verses to memory. I have not, okay, but I just found that quote this week, so cut me some slack. Um, I have, though, read the psalm through many times, and this morning I want to share four observations with you, and these are four things that we can learn about Scripture from Psalm 119, and these are things that should motivate us toward a deeper love for God's Word. If you're taking notes, the first observation is that Scripture is literally the Word of God. These are literally His words given to us, and this is expressed and understood throughout Psalm 119. In fact, the author uses eight different words to refer back to God's Word. It's this list here, Uh, and you'll notice the first word on the list is the word testimonies testimonies. You won't actually see this word in the NIV. The NIV chose to translate uh, the Hebrew word as something different, but in most of the other versions, the word testimonies is used even as early as verse 2, where it says this, and this is in the English Standard Version, blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. Now that word testimony, uh, it simply means someone's account, okay? It's a, a relaying of fact It's a person's story, and so scripture is God's story, and God is the one telling the story. He's the one giving this testimony to mankind. These are not merely things that that men have thought about God and, and then written down. The scriptures were written by men, but they don't have their origin with men. Look at what the psalmist says in verse 89. He says, "'Your word, Lord, is eternal.'" Meaning it existed before creation. It was before mankind was on the scene. And then he says it stands firm in the heavens. And J.D. Greer explains it this way He says, The Bible is God's word that came down from above, not a consensus of wisdom that rises up from below. It is literally God's words given to us. And the the writer of Psalm 119 emphasizes this as he refers back to Scripture, and he talks about it's God's testimonies. It's God's law, God's precepts, God's statutes, and on down the list. And we're given an explanation, uh, a little deeper explanation, actually, of how this came to be once we get to the New Testament. I want you to listen to what the Apostle Peter had to say about how Scripture came about. In 2 Peter chapter 1, he says, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Okay, so there again, these aren't merely human thoughts. This is all inspired by the Spirit. He was the one who is guiding and the directing of, of all of the, the scriptures. And then a little bit later, the Apostle Paul said this in 2 Timothy chapter 3. He says, All scripture is God breathed, and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. I want you to know that here at Genesis Church, we stand on these truths. In fact, here's how we state it in our belief statement. We say the the Bible is God's word to all people. It was written by human authors under the supernatural guidance of the Holy Spirit, and it is the supreme source of truth for Christian beliefs and living. And I recognize that, that not everyone believes that. Okay, and I want you to know my intent this morning is not to uh, dive deep into an apologetic of why we believe God's Word is. Is God's word. We've done that before. There are several messages on our podcast uh, that are that deep dive into the question, why? Why would you believe that? I would encourage you to look at those. Uh, Reach out to me. We can grab coffee sometime and and talk through those reasons. Um, But I do want to address one line of thinking that seems to be growing even among believers today. Uh, Maybe you've heard someone say something like, I believe in Jesus, but I don't believe the Bible. Or, I believe in Jesus, but I don't believe the Bible is God's inspired word. Maybe some in this room even hold a view like that. But here's the kicker. If you say that, if you say, I believe in Jesus, but I don't believe in the Bible, that statement is actually a contradiction in and of itself. Because Jesus himself believed the Bible was God's inspired word. All of it, from Genesis to Revelation. Listen to what Kevin DeYoung says about this in his book. Uh, He wrote a book called Taking God at His Word. And speaking of Jesus, here's what he said. Throughout Christ's ministry, he refers to the historical Adam and Eve. He refers to Noah, Abraham, Sodom and Gomorrah, Elijah and Elisha, Naaman, Zechariah, Jonah, and more. And he does so without ever questioning a single event, a single miracle, or a single historical claim. Now, why does he do that? Well, because he believed that all of Scripture was from God. And as his followers, we have to come to that same conviction. In fact, I believe this is the most important question for you as a believer to answer when it comes to the Bible. Is it what Jesus and the prophets and the apostles and the psalmists said that it was? Or is it just a bunch of man-made stuff, just a bunch of fairy tales that really have no significance for your life? And if that's true, then why read it at all? I would agree with that statement. But if it is the Word of God, and we firmly believe that it is, then we have to accept all of it, just as Jesus did. What doesn't make any sense is to say, well, I believe in Jesus, but I don't believe in the Bible. That's That's a contradiction in and of itself. Okay, so here's the second thing that I observed from Psalm 119. Uh, Psalm 119 shows us that the word of God is absolute truth. Okay, the word of God is absolute truth. And we live in a culture today that says that there is no such thing as absolute truth, which, by the way, is another contradiction because that statement in and of itself is a truth statement. When someone says there's no such thing as absolute truth, the appropriate response is, is that absolutely true? Because it's a true statement, right? But as followers of Jesus, we do believe that there is absolute truth. And we look to God's word for that truth. One of the words that the author uses in Psalm 119 uh, is the word law. He talks about God's word as law. You'll find it repeated throughout the psalm. Let me show you just one example. In verses 137 through 138, we read this. You are righteous, Lord, and your laws are right the statutes you have laid down are righteous, they are fully trustworthy. And so you see that word laws in the second line there, the word that's translated for us into English as laws is the Hebrew word Torah. You might be familiar with that word. It means God's revealed teaching. It's his guidance for mankind. And you can think of it like a straight edge or something that you would use to measure with. Some of you maybe like to, to sew. Think about that straight edge or that measuring tape that you would use to cut a piece of cloth in the project that you're working on. Or, or maybe you enjoy building projects. Think about your tape measure that you would use to mark the board exactly where it needs to be cut. That's what's implied by this word Torah. And it, the, the fact of the matter is we don't all get to decide You know, what an inch is, right? We look to our ruler, we look to our tape measure, and we all have agreed this is an inch. So whether you measure it or I measure it or anybody measures it, like that is the gold standard. It's the same for everyone. Well, God's law works the same way. His word is the straight edge by which we measure right and wrong. His word is where we look to discover what is good and what is evil. And as verse 139 says, God's word is fully trustworthy. That means when we look to it to discover these things, we don't have to question it. We can know that it's trustworthy. We can know that it's true. In fact, listen to what the psalmist says in verses 9 through 11. He says, how can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. He says, I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Notice that he makes a distinction between purity in the first line and sin in the last line. And he's not coming up with those ideas on his own. He says, I look to God's word to know which is which, to know right from wrong. It's the word of God that defines these things for us. And like I mentioned earlier, that, that reality that there's only one right way for everyone, it's not super popular today. Instead, the teaching of today is just follow your heart. like Whatever feels right, that must be right for you. That's what you ought to do. Just follow your heart. That's what we learn from the world. But how do you know that what, that's what, in, that what is in your heart is the right thing? And what happens when what's in your heart conflicts with what's in someone else's heart? Not who's Right there's no standard that you can look to to determine right and wrong. One of the programs on Moody Radio this past week, uh, I've been, I listen to Moody Radio all the time, and I think that means I'm getting older. I just like to hear people talk at me on the radio instead of music, but uh, I I really like Moody Radio. There's good teaching on there, and uh, one of the shows, I wish I could tell you which one it was, but I can't remember it. Uh, They highlighted the story of Woody Allen. Some of you are familiar with Woody Allen, comedian, actor, film producer. And back in the 90s, uh, he was in a a long-term relationship with Mia Farrow. Something like 12 years they had been together until uh, it was discovered that he had had an affair with one of her uh, children, one of her daughters. And, uh, and he left the relationship with Mia to be with her daughter. And this was something that even the secular media of the time recognized um, as bizarre, certainly, but also just wrong on multiple levels. But in an interview that was done with Time magazine, Alan uh, just refused to recognize the obvious truth that this isn't normal. And over and over, the interview would ask him questions like, but you knew this was wrong, right? Uh, And he'd be like, well, it's not really wrong. It's just the way that you're looking at it. And the interviewer would say, well, did you consider how this would affect the child? Did you consider how this would affect her siblings? I mean, this is going to be some weird family dynamics for you. And just over and over, he just kept dodging the question. Even at one point, the, uh, the interviewer flat out asked him, how could you not see the moral dilemma in this? Okay, again, just secular news media. How could you not see the moral dilemma? And Woody Allen's ultimate answer was to say this, the heart wants what it wants, and there is no logic to these things. Translation, if your heart wants it, go and get it. Like, it's, everything's just up for grabs. It can't be wrong. If your heart wants it, just do it. Well, God's word offers a completely different view of the heart. And in Jeremiah chapter 17, we read that the heart is actually deceitful above all things. The heart is desperately sick. Who can understand it? The simple truth is we can't trust our hearts. We need God's word to show us when our hearts are deceiving us. Our hearts change like the weather. They, it, it, our hearts change like the wind, but God's word is unchanging. And the psalmist knew this. He, he didn't listen to his heart to know right from wrong. Look at verse 133. He says, direct my footsteps according to your word. Let no sin rule over me. See, when you allow God's word to direct your footsteps, you'll always know exactly what is right and what is wrong. You'll always know exactly which way to go. It won't change with time. It won't change with culture. It won't change with what's popular. It won't change with with politics. It's like having this map to guide you through life, showing you where to go and keeping you from sin. And I know that some people hear that and they think, man, that feels really restrictive, that there's just one right way to live. I mean, you're basically saying I can't do any of the things that feel good. You can't do any of the things that seem right. It sounds like, you know, it sounds like being in prison. It's really confining. It's constraining. And that turns a lot of people off to Christianity. But the interesting thing is the psalmist didn't feel that way at all. In what is maybe the best known uh, of all of the lines in Psalm 119, verse 105, he, he says this. He says, God, your word is a lamp for my feet. It's, it's a light on my path. It's not constraining. It's not constricting. It's what's showing me where to go. It's, it's a light for my feet. I wonder if any of you have ever been lost in the woods. Have, have any of you ever had an experience like that where you were, I mean, genuinely, I don't know how to get out of here. Uh, That is a frightening feeling. When you don't know which way is north or south, everything looks the same and nothing looks like the way home. It's absolutely terrifying. C.S. Lewis used that feeling to kind of describe what God's law is like. He says, it's like being lost in the wilderness when your feet suddenly find the path. The path is narrow, yes, but that narrowness is not constraining, it's liberating. This is the way home. I I was lost. I had no idea where to go. And all of a sudden, here's the path. And I don't care how narrow it is, it's the path. I'm getting out of here. God's word is like that it's a lamp for your feet, it shows you where to step and where not to step. It's a light for your path, and it shows you the right way to go. Here's the third thing we see uh, from Psalm 119 and it's the fact that the word of God is valuable beyond measure. Valuable beyond measure. As I was reading through Psalm 119 again this past week, this point is what really stood out to me. Uh, It's just the author's deep love and his deep affection for God's word. I mean, he speaks about it like somebody would talk about their child, he talks about it like someone would, would talk about their closest friend, someone that they just love dearly. He talks about it like some of us talk about our most valued possessions. Just listen to how he describes the scripture. I I want to just read several verses for you. Uh, But in verse 20, he says, My soul is consumed with longing for your laws at all times. In verse 72, he says, The law from your mouth is more precious to me than thousands of pieces of silver and gold. Verse 97, he says, Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. Verse 109, he says, Though I constantly take my life in my hand, I will not forget your law. In verse 148, he says, My eyes stay open through the watches of the night that I may meditate on your promise. See, for the psalmist, God's word was all-consuming. He thought about it all day long. And then when he went to bed, he he just laid in bed thinking about it all night long, like like a kid the night before Christmas, just laying there waiting for it to come. That's how he felt about God's word. His thoughts never turned away from it, and to him, it was more valuable than anything else. He, he didn't want gold more. He didn't want silver more. It was more valuable to him than his very life. He says, I take my life in my hands all day long, but I'd rather die than lose your word. And I'll be honest with you, reading those passages and, and several others like them in Psalm 119, I was really convicted this week about how casual I am sometimes in approaching God's word, or or even thinking of it as, man, I just, I need to do that today. Um, I maybe don't really want to, but I know I need to, or, or even just, you know, relegating it to one part of my day. This is my Bible time. And then I just do the rest of my life. That's not at all how the Psalmist viewed the word of God. And I think Psalm 119 should make us stop and ask what level of importance does the Bible hold in my life? Have I given the word of God the place that it deserves, the place of prominence and significance? Do I cherish it above everything else? And think about the the people in your life. Do do they know that you cherish it above everything else? Does your family know how valuable God's word is to you? Is it something that your neighbors would know? Would your classmates say, man, that guy, he just loves God's word. And maybe they think you're weird for it, but they know, like, I just love the word of God. Your coworkers, do they know about it? Parents, are you passing on a love for God's word to your children? This is one that I got to thinking about this week uh, because Beth and I, uh, my wife Beth Ann and I made a decision almost 20 years ago now uh, to homeschool our kids. And I, I just want you to know this isn't about to be a promotion for homeschool. So if you send your kids to public school, good on you. I'm not here to tell you that that's wrong. I'm just telling you that for us, I think that that was the most important decision, the most important parenting decision that we ever made. And, and the reason is um, my kids have learned through homeschool, not, not just the, the basics of math and history and, and all of the things that they need to know, but like they're learning God's word every single day. They're learning it from their mom. and. There have been days when my wife has called me and she's been really frustrated and she's felt like a failure. And she's just said, I, I don't know what I'm doing here. I'm not a good teacher. I, I don't know that I should be doing this. And she's wrong, by the way. She's a really good teacher. But we all feel that sometimes, right? As parents, we feel like we're failing our kids. And, and sometimes in those moments that she just feels like it's just so much. Um, but in those moments, I always try to remind her that if our kids grow up knowing nothing about molecular physics, uh, but they know God's word, that's the win, right? If they can't summarize uh, you know, Einstein's theory of relativity, uh, but they can rightly divide the word of truth, like that is so much more important. And I'm not saying education is not important. It is. It's really important. We need to know how to read and to spell. We need to understand history and economics. That stuff is really important. But I, I'm just saying, like knowing God's word and passing God's word onto your kids is up here. It's even more important than those things. And you don't have to homeschool your kids to instill that in them. But you do need a plan. You do need to be intentional about that. Do your kids know that you love God's word? Are you teaching them to love God's word? See, for, for many of us, the real problem is not that we don't know how valuable the Bible is. The problem is that we've never brought our practice in line with our beliefs. So we say that we love God, but we don't really show it by, by daily consuming it. We don't show it by letting it consume us and meditating on it all day long and sharing it with others and teaching them to love it. The word of God is valuable beyond measure, and we should treat it that way. I think we learned that from Psalm 119. One more observation, and uh, and it's this. It's that the word of God is God's story. The word of God is God's story. I wonder how many of you have, uh, we've been reading this year, this, these fast, past few months, maybe you've came to a, a genealogy, uh, just a list of names or a list of sacrifices or maybe the dimensions of the temple. Uh, you came to something like that and you thought, what in the world does this have to do with me? Right? Has anybody felt that way or is it just me? Because <laughs> i felt that way before. How does this relate to my life? What does this have to do with me? A lot of people have those kinds of thoughts when they read the Word of God. And it's especially true, I think, in the Old Testament, right? Because it seems so detached from the way that we live, and some of it is just somewhat bizarre, taken at face value. There's an article that was written for Zondervan.com by a woman named Sally Lloyd-Jones, and I think she offers some helpful perspective on this. In that article, she said, there are a lot of stories in the Bible, but all of the stories are telling one big story. And it's the story of how God loves his children and comes to rescue them. And it takes the whole Bible to tell this story. And pay attention to this line. She says, the Bible isn't mainly about you and what you should be doing. It's about God and what he has done. And I think the psalmist understood that. I think we see it in places like verse 41, where he writes, may your unfailing love come to me, Lord, your salvation according to your promise. See, the message of the Bible is not, here are some helpful tips for you to have a successful life. The message of the Bible is God's incredible plan to rescue mankind. And at the center of that plan is the God-man Jesus Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something that he would use to his own advantage. But rather, he took the form of a servant. He was made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. And he lived a, a perfectly obedient life. He was obedient all the way to death, even death on a cross. And in Christ's death and burial and resurrection, he became the salvation that the psalmist was looking for. He became the fulfillment of the promises that we read in the Old Testament. That's why all of the genealogies are in there. That's why the sacrifices are there and all of these other things, it's all pointing us to him. And if you read a particular passage and you think, well, what does this have to do with me? That the honest answer very well may be Nothing except that it points you to Him. The story does have great significance for you, but it's not primarily your story. It's God's story. And it's not a list of things that we need to do for Him. It's the story of what He has done for us. So instead of asking, what does this mean for me? Maybe the better question to ask is, what do I learn of Christ here? What do I learn about the the character and the love of God Another gentleman named Michael Reeves uh, wrote a book called Delighting in the Trinity. And I want you to listen to what he says about uh, the Word of God being God's story. He says that knowing that the Bible is about Christ and not about me means that instead of reading the Bible obsessing about me, I can gaze on Him. And as through the pages you get caught up in the wonder of His story, You find your heart strangely pounding for him in a way that you never would have if you had treated the Bible as a book about you. See, the word of God is God's story, and we should remember that every time we open its pages. Now, as we bring this to a close this morning, there's one more thing that I want to highlight from uh, Psalm 119. I know that we're not there in the reading plan yet. Maybe some of you have read ahead, but it's the very last verse of Psalm 119. There's something strange that happens in verse 176. Here's what the psalmist says. He he just admits, I've gone astray like a lost sheep. And then he says, seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. And I wonder if you see a contradiction there. Because on the one hand, he says, I've gone astray. I'm like a sheep. I've gone off on my own. He says, seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. So on the one hand, he's, he's astray. On the other hand, he says, but I remember everything that you said. Why would, why would he say those two things in the same sentence? Well, here's the answer. He doesn't want to forget them. He doesn't want to lose them, but he knows that his heart is divided. He wants to love God's word, but he knows that his heart is drawn to loving other things. Elsewhere in the psalm, he talks about hating the double-minded, and yet it's like he's saying, but that's me. I am the double-minded. And he's just like you, and he's just like me, because we all feel that to some extent, don't we? I mean, I want to love God's word, but I feel the pull to love so many other things. Uh, I I feel other things drawing my affection, drawing my devotion, these things that I should give only to God's word. And there was a man named Robert Robinson who back in the 18th century wrote a hymn called Come Thou Fount. Some of us grew up singing it as kids. It's what he expressed in that hymn when he said, I'm prone to wander, Lord. I feel it. I'm prone to leave the God I love. But here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it, seal it for your courts above. And when we sense that our love and our desire for God's word is beginning to drift the way that this hymn expresses that, that they do, the, the way back home, the, the way back onto the right path, it begins with confession. It begins by just being honest with God, like the psalmist is honest with God. I've gone astray, I'm like a lost sheep. And then we ask him to make us what we know we should be. God, I don't wanna forget your commandments. I've gone astray, but, but I don't wanna be astray. I don't wanna be double-minded. I wanna love you, I wanna love your word. God, would you help me with that? For most of us here today, and for those of you watching online, I think we would have to admit that God's word doesn't have nearly the place of importance in our lives that it should. Why don't we ask God to change that in us? Why don't we pray to God? God, change our hearts so that your word becomes my most cherished possession and that I would seek it more than riches and desire it more than life itself. I'm going to pray that for us in just a minute. But I I want to offer just a challenge to maybe three different groups of people who are listening to this today. The first group of people are, are maybe those, maybe you're newer here uh, and, and you aren't reading at all. You haven't read uh, at all. Maybe it was January and we said, hey, we're going to do this. And you were like, no, thanks. <laughs> That's okay. But I, I want to invite you to jump in today. I, I want to I invite you to get in the game. Like I mentioned earlier, you can download the app for free, read scripture uh, pick up a printout of the reading plan in the Info Hub, at the Info Hub this morning, day 122. Jump in with us. Even if you don't believe that God's word is the inspired word of God, even if you don't believe that it offers absolute truth, how are you ever going to know if you don't read it? How are you ever going to know if you don't investigate it for yourself? So jump in with us. And when you come to something weird or something that doesn't make sense, ask the question make a note and ask the question. We'd love to talk to you more about that, but start reading with us today. I suspect there's a second group of people uh, listening today, and maybe you started strong with us in January, but then life happened, and you just kind of fizzled out, and the habit was not formed, and you quit reading. If that's you, I want you to know that today is Recommitment Sunday, okay? You can get back in. You can get back on board with us. There's no charge You know what yes there is it's a one dollar charge and you can pay it to me okay no there's no charge just get back in day 122 actually i'd recommend this read psalm 119 okay we started reading that on like wednesday or thursday read all of psalm 119 and then get in the game with us and don't do it just to say that you did it don't do it you know for the pat on the back do it because god's word is valuable beyond measure and you want to treat it as such and for those of you who have been faithful from the start and uh, you've stayed with us all through, I just wanna encourage you, stay faithful. Keep reading, uh, stay humble about it. We're doing this because we love God, we love his word, but let's finish strong together, okay? Let me pray for us as we bring this to an end. Father God, I am so thankful that you have literally given us your words, your scriptures, the Bible, Father. I'm thankful uh, that you would love us so much to give us that great gift. And I pray that we would see it as the treasure that it is, that it is valuable beyond measure. Father, we look to your word for truth. We look to your word for guidance. It is a light to our feet and a lamp, Father, to our path. And it's your story of how you rescued mankind from sin and offered us a way out of death and hell. And I thank you so much for that story. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for his life-giving death and burial and resurrection. And I look forward to the day when he comes again to take us home, Father. We say, come, Lord Jesus, but we want to be found faithful when he comes. And part of that is just being faithful to reading your word, meditating on it, letting it consume us. Let that be true and let it start today. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.